Welcome to the EB Brief podcast, where we talk to experts about the present and future of zero emissions transport in Australia and around the world. Now, public transport and buses specifically are crucial across the world, from regional towns to giant metropolises. Now, not only does it reduce per capita emissions and congestion, it also provides a much more affordable commuting option for many residents for whom owning and operating a car is a financial stretch. Aside from electric trains and light rail, though, the most common type of public transport around the world has been dirty, polluting diesel buses. While some Australian states and territories have committed to purchasing only zero emissions buses from 2025, but the Australian state of New South Wales won't commit to a full transition until 2035 for its 8,000 strong fleet. Two or three years ago, I visited the Leichhardt Depot in inner Sydney, where bus operator Transit Systems had a trial of maybe four Gemalang uh, BYD buses and one Yutong electric bus. Fast forward to 2022, however, and the same depot now operates over 50 electric buses, has a huge number of fast chargers, solar panels and a Tesla Megapack on site. It's been slow and steady, but Transit Systems is committed to a zero emissions future. I sat down with Mark Peters, General Manager of Fleet Innovation and Business Intelligence, to talk about bus technology, and he kindly gave me a tour of the depot too, which will be posted on YouTube. With that, enjoy today's podcast. Today I'm joined by uh, Mark Peters from Transit Systems. Mark, thank you very much for your time today, and thanks for joining EV Brief podcast. You're welcome. Now your role, you're the General Manager of uh, Fleet Innovation and Business Intelligence at Transit Systems. Can you explain to uh, us a little bit about your role and what it involves? Sure. So I've got three main uh, portfolios that I look after. So as, as my role as General Manager Fleet, I look after around 3,000 buses across the country, so approximately 800 in Perth, 800 in Adelaide, 800 in Sydney, about 170 in uh, Victoria, and also around 350 buses in the mining and resources area of Western Australia. Um, In my fleet role at the moment, primarily my task is transitioning from internal combustion engines to zero emission buses. Uh, And we have a number of uh, zero emission buses across the country at the moment. We have 55 battery electric buses in Sydney. We have four battery electric buses in Perth and we have one old battery electric bus in Adelaide. And we're also working on a couple of projects at the moment uh, with nine battery electric buses in Victoria, uh, two hydrogen fuel cell buses in Victoria and a further two hydrogen fuel cell buses that we're working with our clients to to deploy those buses. So that's the fleet role. The... um, The innovation part of it relates to our fleet uh, and and new technologies. Um, For example, we're working on technology at the moment that detects fatigue and distraction um, and also driver assistance programs that monitors uh, pedestrian warnings, uh, headway management warnings, uh, lane deviation warnings. So that's one of the projects that we're working on with innovation. And the third part of my role is business intelligence. So... We are a very data-rich organisation and a data-rich industry, and and we're looking to bring those big data sets together and put them in visualisations that managers Mm. can use to to, um, make informed decisions about their business. I suppose even more so in this day and age with EVs now, data is even more prevalent with the telemetry that you're getting uh, in real time from these buses, isn't it? Most definitely, and there's a lot of people looking for that intelligence 
for example, what the what the average uh, net energy consumption is for a bus, um, what our average state of charge is, what what average distances do we operate, uh, what are the minimum state of charges that we get down to, uh, what is the average charge time. So there's a lot of requests for information. Mm -hmm. we're, we're still we've been operating these buses for over three years, but still early days. So it, it's interesting that you mention um, the transition to electrification as actually the first thing, you know, one of the key tenants or objectives of the business. That is something that Transit Systems is really pushing for now, is it? Yes, it, it, it's it's a part of our strategic plan mm -hmm. to be a leader in the zero emission bus transition. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we we've engaged um, reputable industry partners we've been we've been involved in this transition for some time mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, we see it as uh, important to us as a business to, to lead the transition and to assist governments to meet their zero emission bus transition um, their, their, their goals so uh, yeah we're working closely with governments closely with partners and closely within the different uh, the different business units within our organisation to to lead and accelerate the zero emission bus transition. It's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously from your business point of view, electrification makes a lot of sense in terms of operational costs and life cycle costs, but you need signals and policy from government, don't you, to really push forward. And we've seen that in New South Wales with a commitment to go zero emission completely by I think 2030 or 2035. Um, do you see the rest of Australia uh, in terms of metro and regionally, going all electric eventually? Eventually, yeah. yeah. Each state government has different appetites sure. uh, and different accelerations for the for the transition. So um, in New South Wales, uh, we basically haven't been able to procure an internal combustion engine bus for approximately two years now. Mm. Uh, Victoria have made a decision to only procure zero emission buses from 2025. And other states are considering their policies at the moment as to uh, as to when to draw a line in the sand to say no, we're, we're only going to procure zero emission buses from mm -hmm. this from this date forward. And it is important because we we rely on the government as our clients to uh, to provide that policy to, to determine yeah. on what buses we can buy. For example, in in, in New South Wales, there's a procurement panel, uh, and we can only buy from that procurement panel. Yep. So um, there's there's about currently five or six different zero emission buses on that panel, uh, and uh, similarly in, in in other states there are there are different um, different frameworks. But yeah, we are reliant on our government clients mm -hmm. to be able to give us an indication as to what their acceleration appetite is. Yeah, because also at the end of the day, this is a business as well. You know, you're not doing this for fun. Um, so there has to be benefits on on all sides, doesn't there? With, yeah. with this transition. And the benefits the the benefits. Are diverse. Of um, it's it has been a good change to come at a good time. Mm. So um, there hasn't been a lot of change in the bus industry. There's been there's been incremental change, but this has been a significant change. Mm. Uh, one that I think that both the asset management team and also the bus operations team have enjoyed. It's a new set of skills. Uh, they're learning new things. Uh, the drivers are learning how to drive these new buses. Um, Teaching the drivers how to maximise the benefits of regeneration mm. um, is is an important part of the transition. Teaching the asset management staff about high voltage systems and the safety requirements yep. around that is very important. Um, so it, it's not only the environmental benefits, no, no. the the uh, the emissions and the noise, 
Um, our customers in, enjoy the zero emission buses. They're telling us through customer feedback that they enjoy the ride, that it's smoother, it's quieter, and it's far more comfortable than yep. an internal combustion engine. Yep. So, so yeah, it goes it goes far wider than just the yep. environmental benefits. Totally. I'm on the four four two every day or every other day, and just love it when the electric bus comes along because you know it's going to be a great ride. That's right. Um, and it's it's silent, and when they go past, they're just they're so much better than those diesels. Aren't they, they are, yeah, they are. much better. Um, so it's really interesting what you were talking about just before. There's obviously a, it's a total rethink for the business, and there's a lot in terms of uh, in terms of safety and in terms of training that needs to take place. And we'll also see, I think, a bit uh, later, we'll actually look at the depot and see what infrastructure has needed to change. But um, have you had to retrain the drivers in their sort of operation of these vehicles? Is this a massive change from diesel buses? It's not a massive change, yeah. no. Um, obviously, the bus still has standard steering, brakes, suspension, um, but the way that they drive the bus uh, is different. Mm. So, as I mentioned before, the regeneration mm. uh, and maximising that, because when you when you introduce new drivers to the to the electric bus fleet, you do see a, a, a slight deterioration in the in um, the regeneration um, rate. Yeah. So teaching the drivers how to maximise that regeneration is important because it mm. lowers your, your energy requirements that you need to charge back into the buses. Mm. And also it's important to teach the drivers uh, about the safety, uh, the safety systems that are required on, on, on the bus, the shutdown procedures, of course. Um, how to use the, um, the, 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 the main, uh, main safety device shutdown systems. Um, so that's important to let the drivers know about that. Mm. Now you've got a broad range of experience, I believe, across uh, management, but also the technical side, the servicing side of this business, haven't you? So what would you say is your kind of favourite aspect of, uh, of this transition now? Uh, the, my favourite part of the transition is, is learning the stuff uh, that I haven't necessarily been exposed to in the past. I'm an auto electrician by trade. Oh, okay. So I'm... Um, I enjoy the technology of the bus. I, I enjoy learning the, the different systems on the buses. But what I'm finding interesting is learning the the outside depot energy requirements and and the the processes and the frameworks and the procedures about working with energy regulators and and energy networks mm. to be able to um, to be able to bring enough energy to the depot boundaries to be able to charge the buses. Yeah. Well, that's a fantastic segue to my next point because obviously each bus has was it 360 kilowatt hours um, on average on top yeah, and the, underneath it. Yeah, Is the next ports have 368 kilowatts yeah. and the Utongs have 422 yeah, kilowatts. So that's that's a hell of a lot of uh, hell of a lot of power. It <laughs> is. And times 55. Now, now, what what does that mean in terms of charging for the depot? Uh, and how do you balance charging 50 to 60 buses on a on a daily basis here? Yeah. So. There's different there's different stages of, of zero emission buses. We, we started off with four, mm. uh, and we only had what's known as dumb charging at the time, where you, mm. where you plug the, the system, plug all the buses in, uh, and you get full power uh, straight away. Now that we're 50 buses, we've transitioned to smart charging. Mm. So we now have a, a, a software platform that manages our our charging, so it, it can prioritise. Um, and and we, we've, we've set up the system to have priority zones. So obviously the buses that are parked in front need to be charged first. Mm -hmm. So it prioritises that, um, that, uh, that zone or that area to ensure that we can dispatch those buses and then the buses behind it can then go out. So um, getting that energy requirement has been 
one of the challenges and will be moving forward because, as you said, the, the buses consume a lot of energy to recharge and most of the depots as they stand, the brownfield depots, they don't have enough energy requirement in, sure. the, the, in the existing depot infrastructure and potentially even in the feeder lines in the street. So um, we may have to, at, uh, at different points, run new feeder lines uh, for a couple of kilometres back to the zone substation to be able to get enough energy to the depot boundary to be able to charge the fleet. On that with the feeder lines, what conversations can you sort of reveal a little bit about the discussions that you've had with uh, energy suppliers in terms of ensuring that the depot is able to support this fleet? Yeah, so there's there's... There's processes and applications yeah. that, that need to be made to determine what energy is available in, in your local feeder lines. Um, and then you need to have an assessment on what your energy requirements are and to be able to put that into the application to advise the network what energy requirements you, you need. Yeah. And then they come back with a proposal as to what the requirements are, what the design is okay. um, and the costings around um, what that what that would look like? Okay. Okay. So with a with an all electric future, obviously transit systems will eventually be considering a, a, an all electric uh, depot in the future. So depot design and planning will probably need to change, won't it? Yeah, definitely. Depot design is one of the critical factors of the zero emission bus rollout. Um, being able to install charging infrastructure, but minimise the impact on the on the parking footprint. Um, we operate a lot of depots that are already congested and by adding charging infrastructure, it just builds on that congestion and, and potentially limits the number of buses you can park on site. Right. So we're looking at infrastructure at the moment that minimises that footprint um, and maximises our depot parking capabilities. Right. So which are your depots in Sydney, in Metro Sydney? Uh so we have six depots in metropolitan Sydney. We have four depots in what's known as Region 6. Mm -hmm. So we have Burwood, Kingsgrove, Leichhardt and Tempe. And in Region 3, we have Hoxton Park and Smithfield depots. Okay. So yeah, in terms of charging now um, with the BYDs, they have an AC input, don't they? They do. So they actually, they convert that to DC for the motors, is that right? Yeah, they convert, yeah. The, they convert from AC to DC on the bus. Yeah, so right. when you go and see the infrastructure out in the depot, yeah. you'll notice that the AC charges are much smaller than the DC charges. Mm. Mm. So yeah. what sort of time are we looking at in terms of reaching um, you know, maximum state of charge on these? So our buses usually come back to the depot yeah. with between 40 to 50 percent okay. state of charge okay. so we, we don't really get down to the critical levels yeah. down around the 20 percent yeah so our average charge time is, is is around is just under three hours okay so from from that 40 to 50 percent state of charge to 100 percent is, is roughly around just really not long hours. at all not long considering and not, uh, no. do, do you tend to charge to 100 percent uh, for every route before yes we end? do so it's, yeah it's that same so pattern. at the start of the morning before for four or five a.m. before the buses start to roll out, we like yeah. to see every bus at hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. And do these batteries have a sort of charging curve that's software controlled, similar to passenger cars, um, or does it sort of charge in a linear fashion all the way to hundred percent? The software has algorithms in it sure. that, that obviously prioritizes the zones that we've set up. So yeah. it, it it is a smart charging system, and it, it will disperse energy hmm. across all of the charging systems based on the algorithms and the parameters that the operator has set up. Okay, so it's basically probably like a lot of things in the bus, like 
the regen, I believe everything's fixed, but it all is all configured uh, before the buses go into operation by by you guys to meet the the needs, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Um, so in terms of, I suppose, more into the, the granular, the operational side of things, these buses, are, what sort of efficiency are you getting? Do you know those figures um, from, from the routes? Yeah, so the, the net energy efficiency rating is somewhere between 1 and 1.1 kilowatt hours per kilometre. Okay. So that, that's, that, that's the net result. So yep. that's taking, taking into consideration your total energy consumption, sure. uh, taking away the regeneration, the, sure. the free energy that's, that's, con, that, that's generated throughout driving and giving you that net energy consumption rating. And when you, when you normalise it per kilometre, it's between 1 to 1.1 kilowatt hours per Which kilometre. Which is actually, for a pretty heavy vehicle, what are they, 18, 20 tonnes? Uh, it... 18 tonne gross vehicle mass. Their, okay. their, their tear is around 14 tonnes. Okay. okay. That's, so it's actually probably pretty similar uh, efficiency to a heavy passenger EV. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All things considered. Yeah, yes. Well, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we, we we were surprised to see that. We were surprised yeah. to see uh, the the excessively not excessively, but the the, the high regeneration rate. Mm. We're we're achieving regeneration and energy of around thirty five percent. Wow. Regeneration rate. So that's where bad city traffic really uh, has some benefits. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Traffic lights. Um, Traffic in general, yep. uh, and and slowing down for turns, um, mm. yeah, it uh, that that's where you get the benefits yeah, of regeneration. Yeah. So I suppose that's one consideration as you roll out these buses to, to regional areas. You know, will they be able to deal with the demands of um, you know greater distances between stops and less regeneration over say two three hundred kilometres? That's exactly right. So yeah. you, your 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 range is going to reduce. Your regeneration is going to reduce. Charging your times will go up. Charging probably, times will yeah. go up. Your um, your energy consumption per kilometre will, will, will go up. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're interested to see what um, what the data looks like in different operating environments. Mm. Now, in your control room, you can actually see all the data in real time, can't you? you That's can correct. See, yeah. So you can you can see the current state of charge. Amazing. You can see an estimated range uh, before the bus gets mm. down to its critical levels. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we can see every bus uh, on a screen live. Mm. Is that just to ensure that everything's running as planned and it's consistently? You're not sort of giving uh, directions to, to drivers at all, are you, or telling them to drive in certain ways? No, it's it's just an information yeah. screen. Um, and then obviously it's all collated and then um, and mapped. That's uh, correct. Yeah. Point. Yes. So we we're lucky. We haven't had a bus uh, run out of charge. Mm. The, the the buses um, the buses have what's called a, like a, a limp mode where once you get to 20%, certain restrictions kick in on the bus. Okay. When, when you get to down to lower levels, more uh, more restrictions come in. So the bus doesn't actually stop. No. It just no. becomes more and more difficult to drive. You lose a little bit more of your comfort features, yeah. um, but we don't get down to those levels. No. So um, if, if we had buses that ran closer to the line, that we, we, we'd be paying more attention to sure. the live screen. Sure. But it's it's just a it's just an information tool that um, that our operations staff use to yeah. ensure that the buses are meeting their requirements. Yeah. Now, in, in terms of requirements and operation, um, have you is it too early to tell, or have you been able to see some real uh, operational cost savings um, over the diesels? It, it, it's not too early to tell to see some initial benefits, mm. um, and the 
the operating costs at the moment are substantially lower than a, than a diesel bus. Depends on which diesel bus you're comparing it to. Of course. Are you comparing it to a diesel bus that's within a warranty period? Are you comparing it to a 10-year-old bus or a 20-year-old bus? Yeah. But at the moment, indicatively, uh, the battery electric buses are approximately 70% cheaper to operate than, uh, than an internal combustion engine. That's but huge. It is, it is. But then you have to offset it, that against the initial upfront capital cost of the of bus. Um, and then what is too early to tell is the longevity and the life of the electrical components of mm. the bus. Um, so it is going to be a bit of a process to determine uh, whether our assumptions in total cost of ownership over a whole 20, 25 year life cycle, mm. uh, whether the electric bus uh, is cheaper than an internal combustion engine, our assumptions say that they mm. are. Uh, but we just need to uh, we, we just need to ride out that first life cycle to test the componentry, mm. the motors, the converters, and just determine that their expected life is meeting their actual life. Because presumably, like any other EV, you know, um, uh, battery degradation is going to be a, a factor um, over you know the operational lifetime of these vehicles. Because you, you tend, well, how old's the sort of fleet generally? Um, what's the average age of, of the fleet? So we've got buses that uh, uh, have now gone over three years, yeah, yeah. and we've had we've got uh, a range of buses, um, about fifteen of them, that have only been in service for approximately three to four months. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, we haven't seen the buses that are three years old. We haven't seen any battery degradation at this stage. Yeah, wow. Um, wow. We, we know it is coming. <laughs> Uh, and we will be tracking it, but at the moment, the batteries are performing very well. And, and that's another unknown. Um, the battery warranty periods are for eight years. Okay. So that's the warranty period. But what is the actual life of the battery? Is, is it <laughs> is eight it, years plus a month? Yeah. Is it 10 years? Is it yeah. 12 years? We, we, we don't know. Under these conditions, under, uh, under this operating environment, what is the life of a battery? Yeah. So, are they a similar chemistry to BYD's um, other batteries? Are they like a lithium ion? Yes, they are. Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Both of them. Both the Yutong and the BYD's are lithium okay. ion. So yeah. they actually enjoy being charged uh, fully uh, and sort of deep cycled. That's correct. Um, yeah. 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 There are other battery types that that don't necessarily like to be charged to 100%. Yeah. So there, there are batteries that are getting charged to 80% in different yep. in different fleets. Yeah. Um, but no, these ones here, we, we, we charge to 100%. Yeah, now, when I was last year, um, Greg Balkan was talking a little bit about, um, I suppose hydrogen is being considered or being uh, trialled in, I think, in, in Europe, where you have uh, depots and buses over there. Um, is it something that is on the cards for Australia, possibly, in the future? It is. So Transit Systems have bought two hydrogen fuel cell buses. Uh -huh. uh, I actually drove one of them about uh, about a month ago. Mm -hmm. So they're here. They're in southwest Sydney. Uh, we're talking to a couple of government clients at the moment uh, and, and discussing potential deployment plans to get these hydrogen buses out there to test and, and demonstrate the technology. Mm -hmm. um, so hydrogen has been around for, for some time. We operated hydrogen in London from 2013 to 2020. So um, the technology is there, the technology is proven. We just, we're looking to demonstrate that technology in Australia. Yeah. Uh, and we're hoping that we can get our government clients on board to, to launch a deployment project in the very near future. Um, so they're the two photon buses that we have okay. and, and, and we can touch and we can feel. And we're also working with the Victorian government on a two bus hydrogen fuel cell project, looking to deploy that in early 2023 as well. 
I think hydrogen has a lot of benefits, particularly in commercial and bus applications, because you have the potential to generate your own electricity on site and electrolyze the hydrogen on site. Obviously, there's a, there's a big capital cost to yeah. that, but it could be something in the future that actually makes uh, sense. Definitely. Yeah. So medium to large scale, you do look at on-site generation. Yeah. These small scale projects that we have, we're looking to demonstrate the, tech, the, the sure. te technology sure. of the bus. Um, but yeah, the, the benefits of hydrogen um, go in a number of different areas. So range is one of the obvious benefits yeah. and, and probably the most publicised benefit of hydrogen over electric. But the benefit that I see in congested depot environments is that hydrogen has a far more traditional refuelling process mm. where the bus pulls up to a refuelling station it's refueled mm -hmm. and you can go and park it in an unobstructed depot yard that's that's not full of battery yeah. charges. So it'd be interesting to see how uh, hydrogen plays out with battery electric um, and, and, and charging infrastructure mm -hmm. over time. We definitely see that there's a place for both technologies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we look we look forward to launching these hydrogen fuel cell buses in the very near future. Yeah. And, and finally, I just want to ask about the, the depot infrastructure as well, because uh, I believe you've got some uh, solar uh, generation capabilities now since it was last year. That's correct. Yeah, we've got 862 solar panels on the roof um, of Leichhardt Depot where we are today. So that's generating 388 kilowatts during peak wow. peak periods. Um, and that solar then integrates with a 2.5 megawatt, 1.3 megawatt hour Tesla battery. Mm. Uh, and that, that system is then integrated to the grid. So um, you, you need a really big solar farm and extremely large uh, battery storage system to be able to charge a whole fleet. So the, the, the solar and the battery won't won't be enough to charge no. the whole fleet. But no. what it what it's designed to do is when our buses come back after the PM peak around that 6, 6.30 PM period, we can plug the buses in and put them on charge straight away and discharge the battery um, into the buses. And we can charge them uh, basically for free. And that period is still during the peak peak network period. Network so period, we're, so yeah. we're, not, we're not paying those high yeah. tariffs during that period. Yeah. Um, as the battery discharges and, and runs out of charge, that will then be after 8 p.m. and you're then into off-peak period. Yep, and then basically the battery is ready for the next day to be refilled by the uh, solar. That's exactly Fantastic. right. Fantastic, just like home systems. That's it. Yep, yeah, that's wonderful. right. Yep. Well, thanks so much for your time today. It was really wonderful to meet you and I look forward to having a look uh, at the depot. It's great to meet you too. Thanks, thanks very so much. much, Mark. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that concludes this episode of the EV Brief podcast. I really thank Mark for his time and his insights into the bus industry. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on your favourite podcasting platform and make sure you head over to evbrief.com for uh, more EV news and reviews. You can also see a follow-up and a tour of the bus depot on our YouTube channel. My name is Jonathan McFeet. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.